Welcome to Mission Control, where we give you step-by-step instructions on how to take your e-commerce store to levels only a rocket can reach. Each episode, we'll be interviewing an expert in the e-commerce industry that is going to give you simple, actionable advice on how to attract new customers, retain them, and build a brand that you are proud of. This show is brought to you by the makers of Rocket Car, an e-commerce service and solutions company. All right, welcome to the next episode of Mission Control. I am your host, Alex Ivanoff, with my partner and co-host, Dave Pancham. And today, we have a very special guest, Jen Sarigos from Athena Digital. Very happy to have you on, Jen. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. So, you know, we were uh, talking um, a few weeks ago when we first got connected and we, you know, First, we immediately hit it off. You know, Dave and I were like, all right, we definitely have to have you on the show just based on your insights into the industry and, you know, your background and experience and what Athena Digital does. And, you know, we we're just fascinated by what we heard. So uh, overall, I would love for you to introduce yourself a little bit and talk about what you do, what you specialize in, and, and what's the idea behind Athena Digital. Yeah, for sure. So Athena Digital was born very organically. I basically looked up at the sky one day and I was like, I want my next company to find me. And that's exactly what happened. I have been doing marketing with Facebook and Instagram advertising for 15 years. And it was never a career per se. It was always just a necessary thing I needed to do in order to make other companies that I had started go. And uh, I just kept getting people calling me asking me, hey, can you help me with my Facebook ads? They're not doing what I need them to do. And that and the other thing and I started just doing consulting and helping friends it started out as just really helping friends and then I looked around and I was consulting and doing this quite a few hours a week and I thought to myself I think this is my next company and I sat down in my room and started thinking about what is impactful and meaningful to me and how I wanted my mission to be represented in the world and how I wanted this company to be represented in the world and and the Greek goddess Athena, who's the goddess of strategy and wisdom just kind of came to me because I'm Greek. My family is Greek on my dad's side and I have a lot of love and respect and, and just pure joy when it comes to that culture. And I love that part of my family history. And so it was a fitting, a fitting name. And I started off with Athena Digital with five clients, just doing Facebook and Instagram advertising. That was it. And now I have a team of three and we do Facebook and Instagram ads, full service, social media management. We help our clients host, uh, do content marketing, content calendar creation. We help them with messaging pillars, you name it, strategic strategic, uh, planning, whether it's what channel should we go to next or should we go to market with this channel or that channel, helping clients understand what's the best place to put their dollars and their efforts and their resources in order to maximize profits for their companies. And we now do SEO, Google, website development for e-commerce sites. And, and it's been a blast. It's just been growing and growing ever since. So That's awesome. And how long ago was this that it got started? Literally the day, like <laughs> almost to the day when they shut the world down from the pandemic. Oh, okay. okay. March so of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. So what's your background, Jen? Were you like in marketing for a long time before that? Or, you know, what were you, did you always aspire to be in marketing? <laughs> I didn't even know marketing was a thing. It, it's, uh, I didn't even know. I, I was like, what do marketers do? That's not a job, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I am a serial entre- entrepreneur. 
And in order to start a successful company and make it run, turns out you need this thing called marketing. And so I became a marketing expert because I needed to make companies that I started actually make money so I could pay my bills. And that's how I became a marketing professional. At least that's the beginning of it. And then it kind of snowballed. And, and now I focus mostly on e-commerce businesses, helping them. Nice. Love that. Great story. Cool. So, you know, obviously you mentioned that you mainly work with e-commerce businesses. I think in general in e-commerce, that's a very vast I, uh, you know, sector, you're working with a myriad of different clients within the e-commerce world and brands, you know, just in different industries. How do you strategize for each one of those, you know, the social, social media campaigns, the content, the, the ads, like all, all the services you guys do, because you're serving a lot of different types of clients. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I would say really at the end of the day, there's a couple of fundamental things that need to be present in a company in order for me to make a decision that I want to take them on as a client. And a, are they mission focused? You know, are they trying to do good in the world or adding value to the world? And then B, do I think the founders are cool? Cause I'm going to be working with them a lot and I want to make sure that we get along, we have good rapport and we enjoy each other's company. And, and typically when I have those two things work, the strategy side is, is a joy to do. It's, a, it's fun. You know, I, I look up their competitors. I do market research. I, have my, you know, our team, we do keyword analysis. We look at their competitors and what they're doing for advertising and for SEO and stuff like that. And then basically we come up with a game plan and we say, okay, here's your, your unique value prop in the world. This is what separates you from the rest of the competition out there. And another thing is I look for an abundance mindset because quite frankly, companies that are constantly focused on what other companies are doing and how how they're stealing their market share or this, that, and the other thing is not really a, an appropriate way, in my opinion, to look at starting and growing a company. You need to have an abundance mindset. There is always a, a customer out there for you. And you know, not everyone fits well with everyone. Not everybody wants your product, but there's enough people out there that do, we hope, right? Uh, so I think having that abundance mindset and then looking at their company holistically. So we like to look at a company from click to client and everything in between. And I think that's kind of what makes me unique in the, in the industry is because I come from the background of owning operated many companies to this point. So I don't just come into a client and throw a bunch of you know vanity metrics at, at them and say, look, your ads are working. I'm, I'm washed my hands of it and I'm done. We look at the whole entire picture of their company. What channels are they marketing on? What they're doing organically, what they're doing paid. And we analyze all of that and we come up with a game plan in order to help them get their company to the next level. It's interesting that um, I love that like so much of your qualification really comes down to like a bit of the mental side, right? Which is mentally like, how do they get along with you? Um, how often have you ever come across people that like, I get along great with these people, but their mission is just to make money. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and what do you do there? How do you deal with that? Yeah, it doesn't actually happen very often. I tend to attract some pretty awesome companies. I, I, you know, energetically, I think it's, that's an energy thing, right? But yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've done consult consulting calls where I was like, you know, this guy or this gal is just not a good fit. And typically, it's a pretty straightforward conversation. You know, it's just like, hey, I'm not really sure I'm the right person or we're the right company to support you and your growth. But here's some resources and here's some things that you can do right now as soon as we get off this call to move your company forward. And 
wish you obviously all the best and, and part as friends and, and hope that you do do really well. Yeah, Jen, I, when you were talking before Dave asked that question, you said you like to work with uh, brand owners that are cool. <laughs> How do you define them as cool? I mean, that's one of the things you're looking for. But what does it take for a good brand owner to attract like, you know, powerful partners like like yourself? I think, well, you know, it's a feeling thing. It's tough to put into words per se, but... You can have be candid. Ever, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I mean, have you ever done a consult with somebody and you just had this little voice in the back of your head that was like, oh, something's not right. Something's off. Right? And then you have, you know, this just little feeling and this little voice in the back of your head that this is, this is, this person's going to be problematic for whatever reason, right? Maybe they are like, to Dave's point, they're obsessed with money and they're not really interested in what kind of value they're adding in the world because I believe that your income is directly related to the amount of value that you provide, right? So I really, I, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like a gut thing for me. You know, if, if I've gotten to the point in my career where I don't have to just take anybody on as a client, which I'm very blessed and grateful for, and I get, I get the autonomy to choose. And usually it's not so much... Uh, and oh my gosh, I have to work with these people. They're awesome. They're, we get along great. It's more of, ooh, I don't think this is a good fit. So I tend to not necessarily listen to the positive voice as much as the negative voice. And I, you know, if I can help somebody and don't have that little negative voice in the back of my head, that's when I move forward and I say, hey, you know, here's what we can do for you. And if you want to work with us, we'd, we'd love to support you. So for those listening, if you end up working with Jen and Athena, then you know that she didn't get any negative voice about you in her head. So that's a good thing. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned earlier also is uh, you try not to talk about the vanity metrics. Can you yeah. classify what some of those are for, you know, a lot of brands, I've seen this so many times, business owners, brand owners, they go, oh, like we got so many impressions or we got so many, yeah. you know, like followers and, and those things are great, but they can be classified as a vanity metric. How, what do you guys classify as vanity metrics? Exactly what you just said. And quite frankly, any metric that doesn't directly correlate to a conversion that you want to have happen in the stage of your funnel is a vanity metric. So I put an ad campaign up. I only look at the numbers that matter. And then I diagnose the funnel based on those numbers and then give the client very detailed, actionable insights. Like, Hey, the front end of our funnel looks great. What are we looking at? We're looking at land page rate, landing page rate view, right? So if you have a thousand people clicking on your ad, but only 50 of them are actually going onto your landing page, that's a problem, right? That would be what we call in the industry a leaky bucket. And so I would go to the client and say, hey, here's where, we're, where people are dropping off in the funnel, right? And then say, here's the things that are potentially causing this problem. And here's the things that we can do to fix it and, and bring that number up. So you have more at bats, right? So the more people that go to your product page, the more people are likely to hit add to cart, the more people are likely to hit initiate checkout and purchase, and the more people ultimately will buy. And so you wanna make that process as easy as you possibly can for this potential customer because most advertising is top of funnel. So my job as a marketing professional is to not get companies re the, the sell repeat customers, my job, I would say 70% is to get them brand new customers who've never heard of brand A or B before. And so anything that does not give me actionable insights 
is a vanity metric. Impressions is a great example of that. Like, I don't know how many times I've had clients, well, how many impressions have we had? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Just, just chill. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, I mean, yeah, impressions is a good example. Followers is a weird one, though, right? Because every every brand, every company wants followers. And at the end of the day, they, they, they do somewhat end up in sales, right? End up turning into sales. How do you, especially because, you, you know, Athena focuses also on providing organic social content and, you know, social posting and things like that. What is the strategy behind turning followers into sales? How do you, how do you make that happen? The first and most important thing is before you is having a very clear strategy for who is your target market. And this is, you know, business development 101. I, I don't, you know, so, you know, you need to identify who's your, who's your target market. Who do you want your customer? Who is the most likely person to buy from you? And once you have that profile of profiles, then and only then should you try to get people to follow your page because what you don't want is 10,000 followers and only 1% of them are actually people who are interested in your product or your service. I'd rather you have 100 followers and 50 of them are interested in your product or service, right? So what we do is we combine organic strategies to gain followers that are already interested in what this company is providing or what problem they're solving, right? And then to layer in, if they're a new brand, it depends on where you're at, right? So if you're an existing brand, you already have a lot of followers, you know, if there's not as much of an emphasis on getting new followers so much as there is, how do we convert those existing folks into purchasers? And a lot of times these companies come to us and they already have, you know, 10,000, 15,000 followers, but they were spending $5 a day to broad ads just to get people to like their page. And these people have absolutely zero interest in what it is that they do. So that's problematic because what you want to do with social media is create your community, right? I mean, that's really what social media is at its core. It's community building. It's a way to connect to people that are like-minded, right? For lack of a better term. And so when we come in, we say, the first thing we say is like, okay, who are we trying to get to connect with you? And who do you want your community to be? Who is a good fit to be in this tribe? Who is a good fit to be a great ambassador for this product? And then we take it from there. So from, can you give us an example? Sorry, go ahead, Dave. No, no, from, the social, from the social media aspect, do you suggest that brand owners use advertising just to specifically grow their following? It depends on the brand. We do advertise to gain likes and followers for newer companies that don't have a whole lot of followers behind them in order to give them a good foundation because a couple things that happen when you run ads. Uh, so. When you run an ad on social media, the typical behavior of a browser, a person, typically nowadays, you know, 80% and, and over is on their phone looking at stuff, right? So the first thing they do is there's going to be a photo or a video that's going to stop them from scrolling. So that's the first thing that happens. Then they look to see if it's sponsored or not. Then if they're still interested, they'll look at the headline to see what it's about. Then they may read the ad then they're going to click on that page. And if the last time that page posted was two years ago or two months ago even, and they have 150 followers, the likelihood of them actually converting into a purchaser is very, very low. So my prerogative is to make sure that their social presence is what we would call relevant. Meaning we wanna make sure people that do check up on the page feel there's relevancy, feel there's social proof, 
feel that this is a company they can trust. And hopefully that company is doing a great organic strategy where they're adding a lot of value to their community and giving people the information that they need in order to make good choices, whatever that may be. And that's kind of the philosophy. So it's a little bit different. It's not just about running ads to get followers. It's about specifically targeting ads to the kind of people that this company would like to get in front of, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. your question? Yeah, yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense. Um, it, we we tell clients that same thing too. That like a, a lot of people don't necessarily click on your ad to your landing page. Like they're like, no, I want to go research. Um, you know what you guys are all about. Um, do you have? Do are you? I, I'm just maybe it's just our own data in our heads. But how, like, what percentage of people do you think actually are not clicking on the ad or are actually going to research the brand first before they even care about what you're offering? I mean, gosh, it's a great question. I, I, that is not a number I know off the top of my head. I don't know that anybody knows that number. If I'm being honest, I don't think so either. I would say it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good, good chunk. I would say, a, uh, realistically. And another thing that I do know statistically that I can back up with data is that most people, they say up to seventy percent of people who click on an ad and engage with an ad don't make a purchase that moment so they usually click then they go to google and they search then they save the landing page or the business page on their browser or whatever then maybe a few days later they go back and they commit to making a purchase if not months so that's actually kind of one of the things i always tell my clients because my focus is facebook and instagram advertising and my other uh employee does the google side and i'm like okay look I'm doing top of funnel with Facebook. I do a little bit of retargeting for you so we can bring your ROAS up. But at the end of the day, our Google guy is going to be the one who's going to be like the star of the show. You know, you're going to love our Google guy because I'm doing all the top of funnel stuff, which is really the hard thing, which is getting new, new people in the door. And then what we do is we retarget them on Google or YouTube or whatever. Uh, and then typically what happens is they make a search, they see it on social they make a search later and then they make a purchase. So the attribution uh, is, is usually not as great for social advertising as it is with Google advertising. Yeah, I, I am personally the worst for a brand owner or marketer who's running ads and like is looking for accurate attribution. Cause like based on your point, Jen, there's so many times I personally have saved a link that I saw in an ad and went and purchased that thing like months later. So there's just no way that they know that like, you know, that ad is working or not. So it happens, but that's why it's important to advertise. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it happened um, to me just a couple days ago. I saw an ad on Facebook for this new water and then I was in whole foods shopping, you know, got my steak and my, you know, whatever. And I look, Oh, there's that water I saw on Facebook. So what did I do? I bought it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, they're never going to know that I saw that out on Facebook and I made the purchase in Whole Foods. Yep. So on your point of building a community, because this is a huge thing, obviously, to, to think about when you're trying to put out your content and build a following organically. Can you give us an example of either your clients or just like really successful, huge brands in, in the country or in the world that do a good job of that, of building that community with their followers? Um, I can think of a few like um, Duolingo is a really good one that I don't know how they did it, but it's just like incredible how many people are following them because of like their, their mascot and like the culture that they've done in the comments section of TikTok and stuff. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of brands that do it very well, just like that. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the, the two that come to the top of my head immediately is Allbirds and Bombas socks. 
So both of them are digitally native brands. They literally built their companies with Facebook ads, uh, which is kind of incredible. And they have great products and, you know, it shows, but they also have a very robust community. Another company that I would throw into the mix, and it's not necessarily social media based, but Patagonia does a great job of being very vision, mission, and community oriented. And they do a really great job of communicating to the world how they see themselves as a contributor to helping the environment, helping with you know climate change and all that stuff. And I would say Patagonia really does a great job of building a community around their company. And in fact, their homepage, if I'm not mistaken, last I checked, even has on the homepage, nothing to buy. It's just resources around what it is that they're passionate about and what projects they're working on and how to get involved. So I would say Patagonia for me is, is top, top of the list. Those are all really good examples. Uh, the, all three of those, I can definitely, you know, you see them almost like every week, something like cool that they did with their, with their content and with their social media. Another one that sticks out to mind is, um, Wendy's, which is not like a digitally native brand, but I remember like they kind of broke the, they like shattered expectations when like they went on Twitter and started like, you know, like trolling all of their followers or trolling Burger King and McDonald's like in the comments and stuff. And they started that 10 years ago before that was even like a regular thing for brands to do. And I think, you know, obviously like I said, they're not digitally native and they're not like running ads just for the sake of getting followers. So, uh, you know, the fact that they're using their follower base very effectively and making people think about it and then they want to go and, you know, have Wendy's get a four for four or whatever it is. Uh, they're very good at that. So, uh, well, yeah, a lot of good examples. Their model is different, right? You know, they have a huge repeat customer. I bet their LTV is a few thousand dollars. I mean, yeah, you know, every time you go in there, you spend 10, 15 bucks, but some people go there every week. Before you know it, after a five-year period, they've spent, you know, 3000 4000 whatever. So for them, it makes sense to spend those marketing dollars. And for them, you know, a customer acquisition cost can, can they can afford. And that's what makes these, be, it makes it, you know, that's what makes social media advertising so exciting and, and awesome is because it levels the playing field, right? Because a lot of these big players, they used to, you know, only be able to, if you only had millions and millions of dollars, could you really get in front of people and advertise and make money? Now it's like you can go on TikTok and throw some ads up for $5 a day and acquire a new customer for 30 bucks. And they maybe they maybe you break even on the first purchase, but if you've got a great retention strategy and your customers are happy, they're gonna come back and, and that, you know, now you have a, a high margin profitable business and you know you're looking good to either continue doing what you're doing or sell the company and move on to the next thing. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. So on the topic of, of social organic social media. A lot of people like look at engagement rate, for example. What do you think is the biggest KPI, key performance indicator for any brand listening that wants to like grow their following organically, or you know they they're putting some resources in there? What should they? What numbers should they be looking at? I, you know, for me, key indicators of people who are serious about either making a purchase or taking an action, whatever your call to action is, would be video views over seventy five percent. So if You've had people that have watched are watching your videos to uh, 75, at least to the 75% mark is a really great key indicator that you've got a good, a good group of people following you and that you're getting a good engagement. 
I would also say uh, uh, post saves is another really great metric that not a lot of companies look at, which I think is really bizarre. Like if somebody's saving a post or saving an ad, like that is a huge key indicator that they are looking to convert and make take action at some point, if not, you know, right away. So I would say those two video views and uh, post saves. Are all video views alike? Like, you know, for a short video versus a long video? If I'm watching 75% of a five second video versus 75% of a three minute video, it's a big difference, I would assume, right? Or am I wrong? Oh, no, no, you're right. I mean, I typically, when we work with our clients, we, we don't do videos less than 30 seconds. So that 75% makes sense. Is that, uh, for, like, is that for organic or is that for advertising that you're talking about videos, 30 seconds? Both. Both? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't put something up there that's not. I mean, if you're, if you're not as interested in engagement and you're just trying to get eyeballs, that's one thing. And then you can do a five-second video and be fine and go about your merry way. But most businesses that are posting things on our uh, social media, especially organically, I think that, you know, the end game is, hey, we want people to buy our thing, right? And so if your strategy is to put up baseless five-second videos just to get your vanity, there's a vanity metric, right? Engagement. (laughs) Who cares? Are they buying? That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, don't be too obsessed with engagement. You know, at the end of the day, right? What are you doing? You're in business to sell products. (laughs) Right. So, makes sense. Uh, one of the one of the ways that I've seen uh, through your content and on your site that Athena Digital talks about increasing organic engagement or increasing you know the organic sense of community back to that, that that sense of community that we talked about is to be unwaveringly focused on your customers. Can you tell us what that means for for the brand owners listening? Like, what does that mean to be unwaveringly focused? Well. I was at a party once with a good friend of mine, and this was years and years ago before Athena Digital ever existed. And we ended up, as many people do, talking about Elon Musk and all the billions of dollars he's made. And, <laughs> you and everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I say, you know, us and everyone. But I, I looked at my friend, and I, his name's Robert, and I was like, Robert, like, man, what do you have to do to make a billion dollars, you know? all wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And he looked at me and he goes, add a billion dollars worth of value. And I think when you're adding value, that's when you start to see things move. And how do you add value? You are keenly, obsessively focused on your customers and helping them and adding value to them. And not just your customers. I can't tell you how many conversations I have in a week with people that are interested in working with us that we don't end up working together, but I walk away from that conversation feeling good that I gave them something to move forward and help them in their company in some capacity or another. So I think it's not just a value to hold for your customers, but it's also a value to hold for anybody, right? For anybody, whether it's personal, professional, whatever, and I might be getting a little bit more on the woo-woo side at the moment, but I do think that when you are just obsessed about making your doing the best possible thing for your customer and the, and the people that are around you, you tend to be successful. You know? Oh, agreed. Ties back to being very vision focused, right? <clears throat> very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it sounds cliche too, because a lot of people say that and then 
you know, then they focus on like, oh, what's best for me and my product and my company? You know, it's not what's best for my customer. It's a big, no, it's a different mean, conversation. Yeah. And another thing, just totally going on a little bit of a side tangent here around that is how many clients I have. I have a, um, had a client who ran a mobile application and every time somebody gave them feedback about the app, it was DEFCOM 5. It was change everything, do the thing. Da, da, da. And it was every single time a customer gave feedback, they were reiterating and iterating. And I finally one day was like, hey, look, you know, maybe you get like an Excel spreadsheet, you know, and do a hundred interviews and ask really good questions, which is something that we do with our clients. We provide to them really important, actionable insights on how to ask good marketing questions to your customers so that you can glean information that's going to make your product better and make your customers happier. And that's a really important part of marketing. It's a foundational, fundamental thing that not too many com companies do or do well. And I think helping a company understand how to speak to their customers to get the insights that they need in order to make their company company more successful is really, really important and very much overlooked. So what happened when it ended up happening with the mobile app and like his interview? Did he do it or she? So we started an Excel spreadsheet and nothing ever came from the Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds a bit crazy to make iterations off of every customer feedback. It's like, why don't we take the top 10? Like, make sure there's like yes. some commonality here and not just everybody's bit of feedback that can get quite frustrating. Yeah, well, I mean, I always try to think about it from a couple of different angles, but one of which is the why, you know, there's that famous start with why. Uh, and I think that's really important is asking your customers, like, why do you use our product? And see what they say. You know, you want to ask emotionally charged questions. How did you solve this problem before you found us? How would you solve this problem if you didn't have this product or whatever? You know, it's, it's trying to get more into the foundation of the why are people needing or wanting this product as opposed to, hey, what do you like about our cool, awesome new thing that we're doing? And it's very, it's very ego-based as opposed to just uh, for the pure value of understanding what your customers need base, if that makes sense. Like a lot of founders are very passionate about what they do and myself included and very proud of their products and what they've created. But at the end of the day, nobody really cares about this new cool, shiny feature that you just created or this new product that you added to your line. What they really care about is does it solve this awesome problem? Like, you know, is it awesome and does it solve this problem that I have? So I think looking at it from that lens and that angle is a lot more impactful in the bottom line of a company. Yeah, I think the uh, the start with why thing is a good example of also like cliches uh, where I think in the presentation in the book, you talked about Apple as saying like Apple was very different because they started with like, why are we doing what we're doing? And I think it was because he said the the idea is we're trying to change the world. It wasn't like we're making the best phone that we can. It's like, no, we're making these phones because we're trying to change the world or we're making these laptops as technology, whatever it is. Um, again, it sounds cliche. It's like, you know, kind of hear it a lot, especially if you like, you know, read a lot of like successful entrepreneurs and study them. And it's like, everyone's like, oh, we're trying to do this like amazing, like, you know, revolutionizing thing. And it sounds almost like, uh, you know, just I can't think of another word for cliche, taboo almost. 
but it's legitimate. Like that's why these people are successful. That's why they're doing what they're doing because they're starting from the inside out. Why and then who and what, you know, makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of companies, I think founders especially don't get that to the degree that's necessary to create a multi-million dollar company. And part of my job is to really help people look at their company through that lens, through that why lens, like getting to the foundation and the fundamentals of a company. Well, why did you start this company? Oh, you know, when you just ask somebody why they started a company, that usually is like the first starting point for your marketing strategy, you know, for your, for one of your core messaging pillars, which is the founder's mission. Why did this person start this company? And, and I remember I, when I was first getting started, I didn't ask that question. And I asked a client after we had been working together for months and months and months, oh, why, you know, why did you start this, this business? And then she told me, and I was like, oh my God, like, I should ask this day one onboarding with every client that I ever work with because there's so much gold in a founder telling you their story as to why they built this thing that they're so excited about. And that usually translates very well into a marketing uh, strategy or positioning as you know, far as just how you message and position yourself in the marketplace. So you, you clearly strike me as being a very like giving person. And so what, uh, um, I, I would imagine you've probably run into some founders where you've asked that question and you didn't get the answer that maybe you were hoping for, or again, like we know like, a lot of like e-commerce people or marketing people out there are like looking for the winning product and trying to create a brand around that. Um, do you ever try to help that? Like, you know, like, all right, this is probably not the best fit, best fit, but how do you try to help that person walk away with coming up with that right? Why? Like, do you ever try to give them a little bit of direction about like, Hey, you might want to think about this a bit more because it'll make everything much more effective in what you're doing. Do you ever try to give people guidance in that direction? Yeah, absolutely. So a perfect example would be, I had a consult with a with a gal and I asked her her why, and we hadn't started working together yet. And she said, well, I want to quit my job. I hate my job. <laughs> you know, she was like super honest about it. And I was like, that's fair, you know? And, and don't we all who have a nine to five, right? Uh, or most of us. I would say what, you know, the, the way that I kind of work, at least in that particular situation, I think every scenario is unique and, and how I handle it is, is unique based on how I'm reading the person and the situation and all that. But in that particular instance, I just basically, you know, I, I pushed a little more and I was like, okay, well, cool. That's the, that's the high level, right? You're, you're, you're 30,000 foot. And this is kind of getting into more of a sales psychology conversation, but, and then going a little bit deeper. Well, why this, type of product? Why are you trying to sell this product as opposed to any other product? And that when you start to drill down with people, you tend to draw out what it is that actually is is their passion or interest. And that is what happened on the call. And I ended up being really excited about helping her. Hmm. So, yeah. That's cool. I like it. I think sometimes people just don't give you the answer you're looking for, which is fine. They may never, but I think it's important to understand and recognize when it's appropriate to, you know, ask more questions until you start to get at least to a core understanding of, of the human behind the, the idea. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, 
your current clients, do you work with a lot of like smaller brands that are extremely like mission focused or almost like with those kinds of brands? Um, when you approach, when you, when you end up with a person like that, how do you, how, what is your approach to trying to help somebody in that position? That's like a newer, smaller brand, um, that does like, is starting it with a mission. You know, I know we definitely know people that have started brands while, while they have their own jobs and they're inspired by some specific thing. Maybe they are a very, very outdoorsy person, you know, or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you choose to kind of come in and help that person? You know, cause they, they probably are pretty crystal clear in the vision, but there's probably a lot of other pieces that need help. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, our sweet spot at this point is helping ex established companies accelerate growth and scale. So, you know, our sweet spot is one to 10 million and then helping them double that. That's really where we shine and, and show the most excitement and enthusiasm. For brand new brands, I really don't take on a whole lot of brand new brands anymore unless it's I get that warm and fuzzy feeling, you know, oh, this person really is cool. And, and I can see that there's there's like a a spark there and I I like the product or I like what they're doing with the product or you know I think they're they're putting something out there that is for me and at least in my opinion adding value in some in some way in the world. So it's a very personal emotional decision and a lot of the way that I make decisions in my business are 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 data and emotional. So I try to combine the two whenever possible, because I'll tell you what, I don't know how many times I've put together an ad campaign and thought it was the best thing I ever did and it tanked. And conversely, I can't tell you how many times I've put something out there that I wasn't really my best work. And, you know, we had like a 10 row ads and I was like, okay, well, you know, people like it. I don't know. So. <laughs> Take what you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which that 10 row ad doesn't happen very often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't get too high expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like... <laughs> it's not. Those days are over. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, Certainly true. back to, to paid media and talking about organic media as well. How, how does a brand owner need to look at those two, you know, paid and, and organic differently? And how are they alike also? Well, I mean, I don't necessarily like to think of them as silos or as a similarity so much so as a synergistic, you know, entity that works together within each other. So running ads supports your organic growth because people are more aware of your brand. It's brand awareness. And then what you do on organic uh, supports, right, the growth of the company in that you're adding value to the folks that are engaging with your brand. So I think that they really work. They're very intertwined and they really support one another and not just organic and paid, but I would just say multiple channels. So if you're a larger company and say you have, you know, a hundred thousand dollar a month budget for ads, it's not just throwing all your money into one bucket. And, and, and I think a lot of people got stuck in that when the iOS 14 update happened with Facebook, a lot of e-commerce brands, almost exclusively ran advertising on Facebook. And and that was a really great wake up call, in my opinion, to diversify. It's the same thing with uh, stocks, right? You wanna diversify your portfolio. Same thing's true with advertising. You don't wanna run all your ads on one platform. So multiple channels work together and support each other as well. Like I was talking about earlier, Google can support Facebook, TikTok can support Google and, and YouTube can support Facebook and, and they all work together. And then, and I don't think it's an, it's a, or, uh, or an and, it's kind of an and, you know, and but. <laughs>
kind of a thing, if that makes sense. Sure. No, that makes sense. Do you guys remember that day in, uh, I think it was October of last year where Facebook was down? Yeah. I do. For like <laughs> day. I emailed yeah, my I client. Imagine. I was so great. I emailed my client. I was like, Facebook's down. I'm ride my bike. And yeah. uh, <laughs> so I got my mountain bike and I just rode my bike for like three hours in the middle of like a, a Wednesday or something. And it was great. It was awesome. So I was like, it's going to come back. It's fine. It's not the able to There were so many good memes that came out of that day. Where it was yeah. Like mar marketers are just hanging out in the meadow. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do. I mean, but my point is really like, I think of like to your point, how many brands were, you know, one channel on just, just Facebook and their sales that day we're probably, you know, next to nothing. Um, yeah. So you want to protect against that. I think about that all the time, like try and, you know, business continuity. Think about the craziest thing that could happen. Facebook could go down for a week. What happens to your sales then? You know what I mean? Yeah, what if, if the or, internet you know, if you're only on, goes away? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if the internet goes away, the world's got bigger problems for sure <laughs> uh, than just your, your brand. But yeah, no, I mean... What's that, Dave? Like direct mail, baby. It's coming back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're going back to direct mail and, and billboards. And... <laughs> I have faith the world will work out if the internet went down. It would take a long time to adjust, but I think we'd be all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it can happen to any platform. What's up? I mean, I existed. I'm 38. There was no internet when I was a kid. Yeah. And man, oh man, am I grateful because I feel so bad for the children nowadays. with these phones and the internet. God knows. You get teased at school and then you go home and you get teased again. So I'm grateful that I didn't have the internet when I was a kid growing up. So. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, baby boomers did all right after. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> cool. Uh, so on the, again, on the topic of organic social and just everything that Athena does, there's a lot of different services. What are some like underrated tools that you guys use that like, you know, brands listening be like, all right, I got to check out this piece of software, or this tool that I haven't heard before. Okay, well, I don't necessarily have a secret tool that I love for organic, per se. I think I do have a very awesome tool, though, for paid, which is called Internet Explorer. And, or Interest Explorer. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying. Interest Explorer. I was like, wait, that's not Internet a secret. That's, that's not a very big secret. <laughs> I think they're out of business, maybe, too. Um, but anyway, yeah, Interest Explorer. So the, this tool is Awesome. I use it all the time on ads. So when you have a newer brand that doesn't have a whole lot of a following or a base and you don't have a, a large CSV file that you can upload into Facebook and create lookalike audiences and stuff. And also I am seeing a huge shift in uh, lookalike audiences not performing as well for a lot of brands. So I've actually shifted back into interest-based targeting for a lot of companies. And Interest Explorer, Interest Explorer, uh, is awesome because what you can do is actually takes a lot of the guesswork out of the, you know, when you go into ads manager, it's a real, really janky back end where you have to, you know, type in an interest and then do all the things. Right. And interest explorer just basically makes that makes my job so easy because I go in, I type in a broad term and then it spits out, you know, dozens of hits that I can also target on Facebook. And so what I'll do is I'll click on the ones that are uh, appropriate for the client and then you just copy and paste and put it in and then uh, you're off to the races. So yeah, I would say interest explorer. So it's kind of like that suggestions drop down. Like when you go into ads manager, right. And you put an interest, it gives you maybe 10 suggestions. It's kind of like that, but like on steroids, really. 
Yeah, exactly. And then, okay, here's cool. the secret. Here's the secret. And it's not a tool, but it, you can do it with your brain, which is almost better. You look, there's, okay, here's how I break this down. When you are looking for new customers, the best way to target them interest-based on ads is to target folks that are following companies that solve the problem that you solve. So an example would be, let's say you have a weight loss supplement, which you probably wouldn't be on Facebook because you'll get turned off. <laughs> but just let's go with it because that's all I could think about at the top of my head. And you have you want to target based on interest and not based on lookalike because you're a new brand. You don't have a, a big, robust email list that you can leverage, yada, yada. So who do people who want to lose weight follow? They follow Weight Watchers, right? That would be a great company to put in your target that you want to have your ad delivered to people who follow or, or are like the Weight Watchers page. And a secondary audience would be people who maybe shop at, uh, what's that, uh, Lane Bryant, right? That's uh, a brand that caters and sells clothing to folks who are overweight, but those folks may not necessarily be looking to lose weight. So they wouldn't be your primary audience. It would be like a secondary audience to test later once you've saturated your primary audience, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm writing these down. Dave, are you writing these down? Oh, I already <laughs> These are good ideas. Internet Explorer. I got that. Interest. Interest. <laughs> <laughs> what, what version of an inter, inter, Internet Explorer do we need? <laughs> it's called Edge now, right? <laughs> Is it even still a thing? I don't know. I don't know. I actually don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I'm definitely outdated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, cool. What's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now with, with your business and, you know, with your clients? Hiring. Uh, the challenge of everyone right now. Yeah. I, I can't seem to hire enough talent to, to, uh, keep up with the, the client work that we're, we're doing. So, you know, I'm primarily at this point focused on my team in order to be able to give the highest level of service possible to our customers. And uh, so we can scale and we can grow and bring on new customers. And I still feel really good about the work that we're doing. You know, the number one complaint that I get from new clients is I don't want to work with a big agency because the last time I did, I kept getting shifted around different account managers and they never really got a feel for my company and my brand. And I kept feeling like I was getting bounced around from person to person. And I, I just didn't feel like I was getting that, that relationship. And so for me, it's really, really important that those relationships start and continue and stay intact through the life cycle of that client, whether it's one month, one year, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. And that to me is, is quite frankly, the single most important uh, thing that I can do to provide the most value to my customers and my clients is to make sure that they have a direct contact with me. They know me, they know how to get a hold of me. They have people that they know and that they can trust that are going to do good work for their businesses. So yeah, hiring. I love that. It's no a good problem good, to have, obviously. Say, but, yeah, no, you know. no, 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 any good, uh, no, any good Google mark advertisers. I need. Well, if 
If anyone's listening that's not a brand owner and needs a job, yep. hit up uh, hit up Athena. Yes, what, about, what about your brand owners? What are your brand owners dealing with? What's the biggest problem you find them running into these days? You know, it's interesting. I, not knowing their numbers. You know, you'd be surprised how many multi-million dollar uh, companies I come to to start working with and they don't know what their LTV is and they don't know what their CAC should be. And so they're kind of flying blind. And as a, an advertising professional, it's really important for me to know these things as you know, representing their company, because I need to know, are you focused on how much you're paying per customer? Because you know, you're going to make that up on the back end because you have a great retention. You know what I mean? So I would say that's actually been, I don't know that that's their biggest struggle, but I would say that that's been mine as far as just getting that data and, and helping clients understand why it's so important to know these metrics and to know these numbers so that when we run ads, we know we cannot pay more than $50 to acquire a new customer, period. And, and when you know that, that gives you power, right? Because then you can make better decisions with ads manager, you can do cost capping and whatever else in order to you know make sure that the budget is being spent appropriately for that company. Uh, I would say a lot of my customers are just, I think just like anybody else, and it's always the same problem, which is how do I stay relevant? How do I continue to build my company? How do I get new customers in the door? And how do I keep the current customers happy? And those are the kinds of things that keep uh, business owners up at night. I know, um, Couldn't agree more. I know one of your strengths is definitely, um, like social media, especially like from the organic side, what are your, <clears throat> what are your thoughts with like, you know, the emerging platforms, like such as TikTok or, you know, using like Instagram reels, things like that for like brand owners? Yeah. I mean, we love it. I use TikTok every day for clients. We do ads on TikTok. We do social organic on TikTok. Uh, we do reels for all our clients that we do social media management for. Uh, I'm very bullish on TikTok. Not necessarily the political side of things, but as far as the platform, <laughs> but you know, it's, a lot of uncertainty there. <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, but you know what, at the end of the day, there's uncertainty in anything, right? I mean, even Facebook or meta, whatever you want to call it these days, yep. you know, has its own fair share of issues. And then Apple's coming in and making it harder for Facebook to allow, you know, their, their advertisers to do well on the platform. So everybody's constantly needing to adapt and change. And I think that's life. If you can't adapt and change, you're gonna, you're not gonna do well in life, let alone in business. And so, I think it's just really important to to have a good head on your shoulders and not get emotionally attached to a channel or a thing, right? Because like things change. I think that the core foundational principles of be a good person, make a product that matters to you and to the people around you. You know, like core foundational things. I think is what's gonna keep people in business and not worrying about the economy or the price of oil or the price of food and, you know, inflation. And while all of these things are important and I, I look at it just as much as anybody else. Uh, I just don't think that dwelling on those things is what's going to make you a successful entrepreneur. I think you need to, you need to do stay in your lane and do the things that you are in your control. So yeah. as a, as a strategist, how do you like help a brand decide what they should come in and focus on? Right. Cause there's so many different platforms. I know a lot of brands out there are definitely on the organic side, not active on every single platform that they have out there. So how do you help them figure out what the heck they should do? 
Because it isn't, you can't just go Facebook, Facebook, Facebook all day. Like, what, how do you help them as a strategist figure out where their focus needs to be? Well, a lot of it goes down to what we talked about earlier, which is who is their target market and where do they hang out, right? So some brands, we actually do mostly YouTube ads for them because that's where their customers hang out or their potential customers hang out or where their target market hangs out. So it has a lot to do with understanding all the different channels that are accessible to people in the digital world and then understanding their business, understanding their core competency as a business and then understanding who their target customer is. And then because I have you know, 15 years experience in this, I'm able to say, okay, well, your target market, you know, here's the, here's the, the breakdown of the demographics of each channel or whatever, and then say, hey, based on your target market, I think we should focus on this channel first, and then focus on this channel, and then focus on that channel, and so on and so forth. And um, because of the nature of the way e-commerce is going now, we put a lot of emphasis on SMS and email as well. Uh, we built out a whole flow for an, a client. We had been doing Facebook ads for them for eight months. Uh, we were doing, then we layered in SEO, then we layered in Google. So we did it in stages, right? And then the next thing I was like, yeah, we gotta get your email going. We built three flows. We had a nurture sequence, a welcome sequence, a bounce back sequence, and they made $12,000 in six weeks. But they wouldn't have otherwise made because of those email sequences. So. I think a well-rounded channel, multi-channel approach is, is absolutely the way to go. You mentioned for a second there, because of the nature of, I think you said because of the nature of social media, you built the email and SMS flows. What do you mean? What do you mean by because of the nature? What, what are you observing that you're saying that? Yeah, because people, because of what's happening in the economy and the slowdown, people are taking much longer to decide to make purchases which means capturing people's emails and having a very robust and meaningful follow-up sequence with people is what is it. We're in it for the long game at this point. Like the days of people seeing an ad and making a purchase right from that ad at the scale that they were five years ago is, is just not there. We're just not seeing it. And whether it's iOS or the economy or the war, you know, Ukraine, whatever the case may be, people are just not making decisions as quickly and purchasing things as quickly as they were a few years ago. And so again, adapt and change, right? So what, what makes the most sense? You don't own your customers on the platform. I mean, perfect example is Amazon. So many companies have Amazon stores, but they don't own those customers. They don't have their emails. So if you're going to be on Amazon, you better be on other channels because what if, what if something happens to Amazon, right? You know, we were talking about that earlier. So, uh, you know, email and SMS to me is like the, 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 the single most easiest thing you can do to get money from, you know, for your company and, and have direct communication with your customers. That and Facebook groups. I love Facebook groups. Yeah. And if anything is going to happen to any of the platforms, I imagine uh, phone texting on the phone and emails will probably be last. <laughs> Facebook and TikTok and Google, they're all going to go down for a couple of days. You know, SMS and email, I'm sure... <laughs> there's always they're always going to be around so yeah i mean uh, i got a text from a company i bought something from months and months and months prior and they never texted me and then one day out of the blue they texted me you're gonna love this you know it said jen you know to me <laughs> and <laughs> and uh i did i bought it i bought the thing i bought the things they texted me about so it does work you um 
what are you observing about the landscape? Because you made some good observations there. What are you observing and kind of predicting or thinking that's kind of like, how do you think things are shifting? Obviously, customer journey is not as quick as it was before. Are yeah, that's, yeah, it's really. Well, I'm, I'm a couple things. I would say more companies now more than ever are branching out of Facebook. I mean, I think Facebook was a predominant player for digital ads for many companies for many years. And I am seeing a shift away from Facebook and towards other, uh, other channels. I don't think Facebook's gonna, you know, go away. And I think there's always a place for Facebook for marketers and advertisers. I just think that companies are becoming more acutely aware of being reliant on one channel. And that channel for lack for, for better or worse has been Facebook. And I think a lot of these companies are starting to recognize that and branch out. I would say that's something that I'm seeing a, a really big shift. And then another thing that I'm seeing is a really big shift, which is no big secret is influencer marketing. There are just so many influencers out there, you know. <laughs> I have a million followers. I'll sell yourself. Everyone's yeah. an influencer. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, you know? Um, and, you know, as much as I hate the term, it, is, it does work. There's a reason why it's out there, right? And I am seeing a big shift with user-generated content, UGC. So a lot of companies are contacting their best customers and they're saying, hey, would you make a video with your iPhone? And would it be okay if we used it in ads or you know, used it on our social platforms and, and whatnot. So there's definitely a, a, a shift that I'm seeing in terms of the delay in purchase time. So, you know, click to action has be become longer. And ironically, the attribution window has become shorter. So it's been a really big challenge for us digital marketing professionals, because, you know, back in the day, we could have 60 day look back windows and attribute a sale to a channel that we were running ads for up to, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. And now it's seven days. Like if they don't make a take action within seven days, you don't get credit. Uh, so it's rough. It's rough out there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> wild, wild west. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit. And then with the, like the, you know, conversions API and integrating, with the back end and getting everything going and uh, Facebook potentially moving away from pixels, which is a whole other podcast. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's nuts out there. You just, you gotta keep good head on your shoulders and trust the right people and have a, you know, have a good, a good mission, good vision, and, and just try to, you know, see the forest through the trees because all of these things, yes, they are there and they matter. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you're really, doing something in the world that is helping people like you're going to do okay. You're going to, you're going to come out. Okay. Um, but I do think that the cost of living going up with inflation and stuff like that is slowing down people from purchasing big time. So I just have to keep that. an eye yeah. on it. It's scary. Like people spend so much percentage of their disposable income on rent and mortgages, like mostly rent, but yeah, it's just nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, and also I'm seeing like, it's kind of weird. I'm seeing this weird thing. Uh, I don't know that this is happening across the board, but at least in Facebook world, people are, there's just this weird divisive energy and if people actually look up founders of companies and if they have a particular political leaning that they don't agree with, you know, they just write them off, even if they like the product, you know? So 
Um, I'm telling a lot of my my clients to just keep their politics to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Most people are fine with that, but some people so, aren't. You know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah. definitely, I there's definitely a lot of skepticism uh, on the internet <laughs> yes. and on social media. Um, yeah. Yeah. I didn't think people went that far. I know it's normal to go Google the company that you just saw the ad for, but to go Google the founder and really understand like, what's their opinion? And like, do I want to support this person or not? Yeah. That's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think people should yeah. have a little more time on their hands. Maybe a little more. Time. But <laughs> I do. I mean, I am seeing a lot of stuff on social. That's a little, um, it gives me pause, right? Because I make my I make my living running advertising on a platform that has a lot of negative uh, press around it, right? You know, the, my expertise is more on the Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I do social advertising mostly, and then you know our company does other things. But I have experts in in those areas that do the work, and then I kind of stay in my lane and do more of the strategy type stuff. And I, you know, how how does one reconcile? helping companies make money on a platform that doesn't support young teenage girls or on a platform that uh, supports, uh, you know, wars in Myanmar and, and Russian hackers coming in and changing outcomes of elections in various countries and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation and it's, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer here. I think it's very complicated. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, I think the SEC at some point is going to need to get involved with these social media companies because the word media is in the term, right? And and these companies, for better or worse, they do put information out there. And I don't think that they're going away and nor would I want them to. I mean, I have family in Italy that I get to connect with on Facebook and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. I just think that we need to kind of find that middle ground where it's doing more harm, more good than harm. And, you know, there's no utopia and there's no perfect answer. But I mean, those are things that I mean, I think about because I do I do make money on these platforms. And I mean, I have to I have to, you know, pause sometimes and ask myself, well, how, how am I rationalizing this? Right. And I think at the end of the day, I think that these companies are connecting people and they are bringing people together. I, I think that there needs to be more work. There is more work that needs to be done with regards to the. Uh, the way that they're being leveraged to divide people. But. Yeah, no, that's a very real thing, a real feeling to have for sure. I always like to think, you know, if we all have our opinions, I have my own. I like to think like, I'm very happy I'm not the one calling the shots on a lot of this stuff because like these are very hard problems to solve, right? Like very, so many different opinions, so many different like ways to look at things. So I have no um, idea why on earth Elon Musk would want to buy Twitter. I wouldn't want that touch that with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> Like I wouldn't want to own a social media company. I mean, Twitter's not a very good. Yeah, Twitter's not the best <laughs> business either. <laughs> like they don't make a lot of money. They make like no money. If anybody can make it, make nothing and could be Elon. But you know, it is what probably. It is. <laughs> yeah, probably. We'll see what happens. So Jen, you've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, we'll start wrapping up, but I have, I have one interesting question I want to ask. Is obviously, like I said, you've been doing this a long time. You have a lot of experience. You know what you're doing. Obviously, you know, past hour shows that. What is one thing about? the marketing industry or, you know, the services that you guys provide that no one, almost nobody agrees with you. Like they're just like, yeah, she's wrong, but you, you, you know, what you're right. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to go into a, I'm going to say I'm, it's a woo woo thing, but I'm an energy, I, I am an energetic being and I'm a spiritual person. And I believe 
what you put out into the world and what you get back. And I think a lot of marketers believe data only, logic only. If you do good marketing and you use this formula for your ad copy and your landing page copy, you're going to convert and you're going to be profitable. And I just don't agree. I, and I, I am definitely an outlier in that because I think you can have the best marketing team in the world. And if you don't, if you don't have a good product or you don't have the right founder, it's not going to work. So I, I definitely think I'm an outlier in the sense that I really do firmly believe that the energetic connection between you and the world around you and the offering that you put into the world is and will always be paramount to your marketing. Your marketing should be a reflection of that. I agree. It's a great one. A lot of people don't look at it that way. It's a, it's a good one. Yeah. Cool. So as we begin to wrap up, we like to conclude the show with one question that we ask every, every single guest. If you could sit in a room with a bunch of mentors once every morning to help guide you and give you advice, who would be in that room? They can be alive or dead. Sadhguru. He is an Indian uh, mystic, I guess is what you could call him. He is the most mystical, pragmatic human being I've ever witnessed. And I think he's fantastic. And I would love to be in a room with him and just soak up his good energy. Uh, I would like to, I, you know, I hate, I, I know he's, he's very controversial, but I'd be really interested to hear what Elon Musk has to say. Uh, I heard a podcast interview with him and they asked him about the, uh, the simulation thing. And, you know, he's a, he's been a proponent of, of saying, you know, this is for sure a simulation or whatever. And the interviewer asked, so what do you really think about this? And he goes, well, do you believe that we are living in a simulation? And he said, my heart wants to say no, but my mind wants to say yes. And I, I, I would, I think that that in and of itself, that kind of an answer just makes me intrigued by the human that he is and would, would want to know uh, more and would want him in a room mentoring me for sure. And then the, and another controversial person that I would want in the room with me is, um, uh, Jeff Bezos. I was about to ask you that earlier because of the Amazon, you know, ethos and controversial yeah. billionaires. <laughs> I was waiting to finish this and ask if you were what your opinion was on him. So please proceed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please proceed. <laughs> you know, I think his ex-wife Mackenzie is the most fantastical human, and she would have been my fourth pick. Uh, <laughs> But I probably shouldn't put them in a room together mentoring me. I'd <laughs> separate them out. I don't know. That would be uh, hilarious. Yeah, they can take turns coming in the room. That would be really funny. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I think he's was, I think he's brilliant. I think he's a brilliant uh, businessman, an entrepreneur, and a brilliant mind, and has a very unique perspective on the world. I very much agree with his philosophy that the customer comes first, and I haven't found a company that has given me better customer support than Amazon. I do, however, have a bit of a bone to pick with with some of the things that have been coming out with regards to employees and how they've been treated. Uh, but you know, there's two sides to every story, and I do know that they they do provide a lot of resources for employees for college education and and stuff like that. So I'd want to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But I would love I'd love to to be mentored by 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 those four people. I think that would be you know two of them are more philanthropic and more uh, 
spiritual in nature and then the other two are more business savvy. So I think it would be a good balance. You know, I always like to try to keep people around me that aren't one. I don't like to have just one type of perspective or type of focus of, of, of mentors around me. I like to surround myself with a, a well-rounded bunch of people, whether it's spiritual or musical or creative writers, whatever, you know, poets. I like to be surrounded by a healthy, eclectic mix keeps things interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great answer. It'd be interesting. I, you know, Jeff could be on one side of the table saying, do this and focus on your customers so you can make more money. And Mackenzie will be on the other side like, yeah, so you can donate it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'd be funny. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much, Jen. For the people listening, you know, the brand owners, the potential employees, everybody that we've talked about that could be listening, where can they find you? Where can they get in touch with you? How can they follow Athena Digital? Yeah, so uh, we have a Facebook page that I do nothing with because I'm too busy serving my customers. Uh, but you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Jen Cerritos, J-E-N-S-E-R-E-G-O-S. And our website is www.athena-digital.com. And mm, you can contact us through our website. There's a contact us page. And I'll be sure to Perfect. read back out. Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much, Jen. It's been a pleasure. I learned a lot already, and Dave and I are taking notes, and uh, I can't wait for this episode to come out and people listen to this. I had a, I had a blast. Cool. Me too. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All righty. See you guys later. Thank you.